0: Welcome, everybody, to my first sermon of the year. All right, they're excited here. I know you're excited as well. And I've been on vacation, and uh, did I miss anything? Anything in the world going okay? I was at Disney World, and let me tell you, it's the happiest place on earth. So uh, we're pretty excited. I came back, and then all of a sudden, uh, the world seemed to fall apart again. Uh, It's finally a weekly thing. Um, And so I I guess, really, I want to start off asking probably the uh, most important question that we ask ourselves now, and that is simply, uh, how is your feed telling you to feel right now? How should you feel right now? Because uh, most of us right now, that's, that's the question that anytime something happens, we go to social media and we determine, hey, should we be angry? Everybody seems to be angry. Should we be upset? Are you fearful maybe? How are you feeling about this? Well, there's no way to know unless you go to social media and figure it out. They'll tell you how to feel, right? That's just the way it is. If you want to know, or if you're social, you're, you're, you're holier than that, you go to CNN or Fox News, they'll tell you how to feel, right? That's how some of us do it as well. You know, there's a, it reminds me of my favorite quote of 2020, and this is going to be my mantra maybe for... 2021. We're going to put it on the screen. It's a, it's a quote by comedian Duncan Trussell. He said this He said, Some poor, phoneless fool is probably sitting next to a waterfall somewhere, totally unaware of how angry and scared he's supposed to be. You know what? I couldn't agree more. The stories that you listen to shape your life, the stories you believe shape your future. And we're all guilty in this. Our feelings are being manipulated. Our our future is being changed because we're listening to voices on screens and on people that we don't know and in echo chambers of people that, that are thinking just the same things that you're being told. And it is destroying us because our feed is shaping our world. And here's what I know. You don't think you're the problem. You don't think you're the problem. You don't think you're the problem. I don't think I'm the problem. But you know what, church? I'm, becoming, I'm beginning to think we are the problem. You know, you're watching church online. Maybe you go to a neighborhood gathering. Maybe you pray. Maybe you're reading your Bible every day. But you know what? I still see too many of us running to the feeds. We're running to social media. We're running to the news. And what is happening is it is changing, it is changing our future. Let me ask you a question. As a Christian, as a Christ follower, as someone who is, is convinced that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, do you wake up every single morning, open up the world, the Word of God, and think, you know what, today I need to be light? in a dark world? Do you open up God's word every day and say, you know what? I have some issues that I need the power of God to change so that I can go out into a dark world, into a world of chaos, and I can show them a God who is in control because he's in control of my life. Or do you wake up, you maybe look at one verse, and then you go to your feed and you let it tell you how to think. You know, i um, the truth is, I believe that, that the church in this is, is, is kind of losing our way. We're forgetting our story. The, the absurdity, I think, reached its climax maybe two weeks ago, uh, when, or about two weeks ago, when a congressman and also a, a minister, I don't know if you knew this, ended his prayer, did y'all see this, with Amen and a woman. And uh, of course, this is absurd. Amen has nothing to do with gender. It, it is a Hebrew word. It simply means uh, so be it or truly. And uh, what, up, what upset me about this, though, was how many Christians got mad at a woman, a, a man and a woman, and they didn't even listen to the, the end of this prayer, which was, again, a Christian prayer by a so-called Christian minister. And this is how he ended his prayer. He said, in the name of Brahma and the monotheistic God of many faiths. That is how the Christian minister ended his prayer before saying amen and a woman. In other words, this to me is a perfect picture of part of the problem. And that is it had the perfect A height of arrogance of let me update the Bible because the Bible isn't quite uh, good enough. So let me give you the the 2021. Let's update the gender. Let's do this. But it also had just the the absurd lack of knowledge of the central theme of the Christian (laughs) Word of God. And that is Jesus says, He says, No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the message of Christ, that He is the only way. And yet we have a Christian prayer in our nation going out for all gods anywhere. You see, we have forgot our story, and it's not just in politics. It is in our very homes, church. And I'm telling you right now, this year is going to be the year in which, at least at Connection Point Church, we are going to champion God's word. At the coronation of Queen Elizabeth, the A Scottish archbishop gave her a Bible, and this is what he said as he handed her the Bible. He said, this book is the most valuable thing that the world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. There's a story that Gandhi was walking through India, and he came across some Christian missionaries And he said to these Christian missionaries, he said, you Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilizations to pieces, to turn the world upside down and to bring peace to a battle-torn planet. But you treat it as if it is nothing more than a piece of literature. Or maybe you know the words of Andy Dufresne from the Shawshank Redemption. He says, salvation lies within My question to us, church, is do you believe this? Do you really believe that this is the most valuable thing you have? Because what I've seen lately is a church, an entire body of churches that doesn't seem to value what we should value. I was in a coffee shop uh, a few weeks ago, and my coffee came to $2.11, and so I gave the guy $3 cash, and he looked at me as if I had, you know, just spoken an odd language, and he said, I can't accept this, he said there is a national change shortage, to which I said, well, um, I mean, I want to pay cash, he says, well, I'll just have to charge you $3, and I said, well, it's $11, why don't you just charge me $2, right? So. Anyways, I ended up paying $3 for a cup of coffee, and I thought to myself after this, you know what? There is a national change shortage. That is true. Now, I don't know about the coins. I don't know anything about that, but I know when I look at the church and I look at this nation, we have a change shortage. We have a group of people who want a whole bunch of other people to change, but none of us want ourselves to change. You know, there's a a story in the Bible where King David is caught in a sin and he's accused of a sin and he knows he's a sinner. And instead of calling out, well, what about Saul? What about all the other people who have done this sin? This isn't the sin that's unique to me. Instead, he writes Psalm 51. He says, God, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit in me. In other words, he said, God, change me. Let me reflect your glory. Let me go back to to the story of us. And that is that I have a God who loves me and will forgive me and will redeem this world and my world included. You know, my hope for the series that we're starting today, my hope for this is that we change as a church that we embrace the idea that the scriptures really are the most valuable thing we have. That as a Christ follower, salvation lies within. I hope that we read it. I hope you wake up, church, and literally wake up and read your Bible and see how can I live this out. Now, when we talk about this book, the Bible, the Bible is the inerrant word of God. It is written by men, but it is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God in a unique context with unique genres. Now I want to explain this just a little bit. When we say the Bible is inerrant, one of the things we need to know about the Bible when we say it's inerrant is we do not mean that it is always scientifically and historically correct. Did you know that? Now, some of us are like, whoa, where are we going with this? Let me give you an example, okay? In Joshua 10, 13, this is what Joshua 10, 13 says. It says, the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Now, when it says that the sun stopped, we need to understand that uh, there's a purpose for this statement. The, the, um, Israelites were in a battle and they, they, their enemies were starting to flee. And if it, darkness fell, if night fell, then they were going to escape. But instead, Joshua prayed and the, and the daylight stayed and they were able to find and completely win the battle because their enemies could not escape into the night. Now, in the 17th century, a man named Copernicus, you may know the story. He came up with this wild and crazy theory. His theory was that instead of, as everyone else seemed to believe, that the earth was the center of the universe and everything was revolving around the earth, he said, you know what, I'm looking at the stars, I'm I'm seeing all of this, and it seems like the earth is revolving around the sun. And so he puts out this theory and he's immediately called a heretic. Now, Copernicus was a God-fearing person. He actually believed that God was a God of order. He believed that God liked math. He believed that God was fully in control, but he also believed when he looked out and he saw scientifically, when he saw what was going on in the heavens, he said, it looks like the earth is revolving around the sun. And he was accused and he was convicted as a heretic in the church. You know, it's only been recently that the Catholic church has come back and said, hey, we were wrong about Copernicus, by the way. You know what? He was right. Scientifically, the earth, the the sun did not stand still. The earth would have stopped, okay? But when you think about the inerrancy of the Bible, understand that the fulfillment of that statement was not a scientific statement, right? We all would agree, okay, I can accept that the, sun, the Bible is true and the sun didn't actually stop. And in fact, even today, if you are walk out tonight at 11 p.m. tonight and the sun is still in the air, what are you gonna say? Man, the sun has stopped in the air. That's what I would say. I, I, I would say, man, has the earth quit, quit revolving around and, and try to explain it? It would have been an absurd idea. We can even kind of, kind of think of the humor. If, if the Bible, if Joshua would have said earth stop revolving around the sun for 4,000 years, people would look at that and say, what in the world was Joshua talking about? The point of the story when Joshua is writing this is, hey, I prayed this prayer for the sun to stand still and the sun stood still. God is in control of even the heavens. So when we talk about this word inerrancy, I don't want us to get caught up. I want us to understand that when we talk to the purpose of the writers and we talk about the function of the Bible, it is inerrant. There are no, it is entirely true. When the Bible is specifically speaking about an event through the eyes of a person, it is exactly what that person saw. It is inerrant. And there's also another phrase we use, inspired, but this is also misunderstood. When we talk about the word inspired, we don't mean that God took control of some man sitting in a dark room somewhere and that he controlled his hand and like a robot, he made him write out exactly. It's much better than that. You see, when we talk about inspired, we talk about the Holy Spirit of God um, inspiring men through their own eyes and their own uh, lives, inspiring them generation after generation and shaping this document the perfect way that God wanted it. And so when we talk about Genesis chapter one and chapter two in the early parts of Genesis, we've got to understand that these stories were written Hundreds, even thousands of years, they were told before they ever actually were written down. And for generations and generations, children would ask their mothers or their fathers, hey, why is all this stuff here? How do we get, what is all of this around us? And parents would say, you know what? Bereshit Barak Elohim, that's what they would say. In the beginning, God created And they would pass that and that child would grow up and he would say the same thing to his kids. And it would pass down these stories of how God was moving. And then eventually it comes to the point where Moses in the desert says, you know, we get some scribes and we need to write down these stories of generations because these stories are the stories of us. And what's fascinating is that it keeps the voice of the people It keeps so when we see Luke, he's writing through his eyes, and we see Paul, and Paul sounds different than Peter and Peter and and Paul. We can see some conflict sometimes in their thoughts, and it's all because they were being inspired, but it was still their lives. It was still God interacting in their lives. The Bible is the inerrant, inspired word of God, but it's written in context, it's written with genres. We see so many genres in the Bible. You know, there are Proverbs, that's a genre in the Bible. Here's one of the Proverbs I, that I think is interesting. Proverbs 13, says this. It says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Now, how many lottery uh, uh, winners have you heard are professional athletes who get a lot of money and they quickly lose all their money? Have y'all heard that's a story? Yeah. And so is this proverb true? Now, have you ever heard of a story, is there ever anyone, an athlete who got a lot of money and he saved his money, has that ever happened? Of course it's happened before. Now, does that mean that the Bible isn't true, that there's an, because the proverb says that if you, you get it quickly, you're going to lose it? No, we understand this is a warning. In fact, it's, it's actually more true if somebody reads this and says, oh, I just got a lot of money, I need to save my money because the Bible is warning me. So we understand the genres matter. They're, they're t- teaching us in different ways. But when we, we think about truth, we think about what the Bible is doing, the purpose and function of the Bible is so crucial. Think about a parable. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells a parable. He tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And one of the, the, the things he says about this parable is he says a man was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he tells this whole story. And the point of the story is to define who is my neighbor. And that's what he ultimately says. Let me ask you a question. Where do you think the Samaritan lived? Probably Samaria, right? we probably agree with that. Where was he going? He was going to Jericho. There's an actual road. I've seen the road. So he was actually going to a historical place he was going to. Now, here's another question. Did the good Samaritan and the man that was beaten up on the road, did they actually exist? No, probably not. It's a parable. It's a story Jesus was making up. Now, it's got some context to it, but we understand that it didn't historically happen, probably. But here's the question. Is that story true? Yes, yes the story is true, a parable is true, even if Jesus is using it because his function is to define what is my neighbor. And in fact, he uses it so well that at the end of the story, the the people listening say, you know what? The neighbor is the one who had mercy. They're able to understand because the Bible is true. When we think about this Bible, some of us miss the who for the how. We think about the, the questions we have now, and we take out the context of then, we take out the purpose of who's writing, and we take out the function of, of what these stories are doing, and we miss the story of us. And so for this series that we're going to begin, today I'm going to give you an overview and we're going to start next week. We're going to go through Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 11, and we're going to learn the first five stories of the Bible. And these stories are a unique genre to the Bible and to everywhere else. They are possibly historic. We don't know because they're not tied to a specific time in history. They're not tied uh, to dates that we can can trace. They're connected through genealogies and they seem to have some historical basis, but they're also not tied directly to one place. They're very unique. But what we do know is they are archetypal. And by archetypal, I mean, they are the story of all of us. And most of us miss that when we go through Genesis. We ask questions like, was this really six literal days that God created? Was Adam and Eve, were they really in the Garden of Eden? Was that, where was the garden? And we ask all of these questions and we disregard the point of what they were saying. You know, did God really invent languages to stop a tower from being built? Is that really what happened? Some of us are so boggled by these questions that we miss what God is telling us in his words. So let's go through them real quick. I want to give you a a, a glimpse of where we're going and why this is so important to us in 2021. You see, we're going to start with Genesis chapter one, the creation story. And if you don't understand the creation story, you will not understand the the world. You just will not. Instead of saying, How did God create? we should be asking, Who? Created because that's the point of Genesis 1. And if you read Genesis 1, you'll find a God that, that, that creates in such a vastly different way than any one, any other uh, a God in that time period. No one had a concept of God like the God of Genesis 1. And He speaks, he's, he's so in control. In fact, if you just read Genesis chapter 1 as a Christ follower, you would come away saying, You know what? I look around at the world right now of chaos. I know that God is controlled because we have a God that can speak and control the heavens and control the earth. How can we be fearful right now? But instead we get bogged down in these questions. The story of the fall, that's the next one. In Genesis 2 and 3, we have this story of God putting man in a garden and then man makes a choice. And what we miss sometimes in this story because we're asking, well, how can a snake speak. He didn't even have a voice box. He couldn't make the war. How could that even happen? Some of us get bogged down in that. And we miss the fact that the word Adam, you know what the word Adam means? It means man. It literally means man. Eve means life. And the the names of the trees are, are not accidental. They are intentionally named. It's a story of man coming so deceived in his life that he makes a decision to eat from the one tree that God told him not to. And that tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, man decides in his lifetime, I don't have to listen to God. I can decide what is right and what is wrong. The story of Genesis 2 and 3 is the story of us. You want to know what's the problem right now with the world? and we want to point at a political party. The problem is us. We eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil every single day, and we post about it on Facebook. We never, ever look at the lessons in Genesis that tell us what is wrong with this world. We forgot our story. Genesis 3, the first murder. We learn that this sinful nature that came from Adam and Eve actually gets passed down and it's going to all generations. And we look at the name Cain, it means possession. We see a, a, a child who is, he's entitled to everything in this world. And his, his brother Abel, you know what Abel means? It actually shows up in Ecclesiastes as well. Hevel is the word it comes from breath or mist. He has a short life. And even though he gives good gifts to God, his life is brief. And Cain, we see even in the midst, God gives him a warning. Hey, sin is all around you. It desires to have you. And Cain, even in the midst of his sin, we're going to see that God marks him and God protects him. God is looking to redeem. And a story is emerging in these. We see a story that God creates. Man sins. And so God begins to redeem. And it's a story we're going to see over and over again. We're going to get to to Genesis chapter 6, the flood of Noah. And instead of stopping and saying, well, could a worldwide flood, what what are these Nephilim, what do all this mean? We're going to see that sin has consequences. We're going to see that if you continually rebel against God, if you continually go your own way, eventually... As Johnny Cash says, he says, eventually God's going to cut you down. Eventually, eventually there are going to be curses and there are going to be consequences from your rebellion to God. But even in the story, we're going to see God creates, man sins, and God recreates, God redeems. And then it'll ultimately, we'll get to the Tower of Babel and we're going to see the story of us. And you're going to read the Tower of Babel and you're going to say, oh, this is us. You're going to see a society now where this selfishness and this pride and everyone is eating from the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil. Everyone thinks they know what is right. Everyone disregards God and they say, we can do this. We no longer need God. Now we've got every answer we need right in our pocket. And they begin to build a tower and say, we can even reach the heavens. God is going to confuse this. And it's not an act of evil that God confuses this and stops this, he confounds us, But he understands that as this scales, that eventually men can even destroy the entire world. And in an act of mercy, God is going to put man back into his place. You now, the truth is that we live in a time where we have every answer in our pocket. We live in a time where we can, shoot cars into outer space. We have a car heading to Mars right now. I don't know if you know that. A Tesla is headed to Mars. We have every answer in our pocket. We have the ability to destroy. Two countries, Iran and North Korea, said within a couple of years they're going to have nuclear weapons. Do you realize we could destroy this world? And we look around right now and we say, why is there so much confusion? What is God doing? As if God is is absent from this, but I'm telling you right now, we are in the midst of Genesis 11. If we only knew the story of us, and I have good news for you, because the story of us isn't just about God creating and us screwing it up and God, God letting us fall. It is the story of God redeeming, and that's why we must get back to this book. We have to understand who we are. We can't just decide I'm going to end all of my, my, my prayers with amen and a women now because that's society. And by the way, I think we should start singing hymns and hers. Don't you think that would be good? All right. I did. That was my dad joke. I thought somebody would appreciate that. But the truth is, this matters more now than ever. It does. It's, just, it's the height of human independence right now. And we're all bewildered and we have the answer. Jesus has this moment at the, uh, after he has risen from the dead, Jesus is walking, and and he comes across some people on the road to Emmaus, and and they don't know who he is, and this is what he says in uh, Luke chapter 24. He said to them, oh foolish ones, They're talking to Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. He died on a cross. He rose from the grave as he predicted, as he said he would do it for humanity. And they believe, but they did not really believe. Oh, foolish ones, he says, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted them all the scriptures. And the things concerning himself. This book is the book of our Savior. It is the book of our hope. It is the book that reveals how we get through this. And yet, most of us leave it on our bookshelves. Most of us run to CNN, we run to Fox News, we run to our own ideas, our own little echo chambers, rather than sitting down and saying, What is God going to do next through me? Y'all, this is the story of us. And that's simply where we're going in this series. Here's what I want us to do. Over the next week, I want you to begin praying, maybe even fasting about who you're going to invite next week to start this journey and to dig into God's word. If you have friends that have lost hope in in the world, if you have friends that that think that a political party is going to save us or that there's no hope, they need to see what God's word says, the story of us. Genesis 1 through 11, we're going to go through these five stories. Maybe you want to join a a, a Facebook watch party. Maybe we're streaming on Facebook now. Hey, Facebook. If you're on Facebook and you're watching this, maybe you invite some friends to a watch party and y'all just decide, hey, we're going to watch this at 1030 next week. Maybe you invite some people over to your house. Maybe you go to a neighborhood gathering. We've got three of them. But I want to encourage you, make plans now of when I am going to, to, who I am going to invite to be a part of this series because I'm telling you Connection Point Church 2021 is not a repeat for us. It's not a repeat of 2020. It's not where we're just going to say man the world is going what do we do and we've got to figure out life so we've got to figure out hey we know the world is going to continue in chaos until all of the believers the people who have hope decides I'm going to tell people about the story of us. I'm going to tell people about the savior of the world and we're going to point People to Christ in 2021, and it starts next week. So connection point, I I hope that you will prep yourself for where we're going because God has got great things in store for this church, for all the churches in the city of Wiley and worldwide. I believe that the church has the opportunity right now to tell the story of us. And it's not just our story. It's his story. Let's pray. Lord, with all of my heart, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is inerrant. I thank you that there is is total, total confidence that we can have, that you have been working and guiding this word through history. I thank you that you have inspired it through your Holy Spirit So that men, even in the midst of their own chaos, can get a word from you, can write down so that we can be guided, not just in stories of old, but in our stories. Lord, I thank you for where you're going to take this church and the believers who hang um, close to you and trust you and follow you this year. I thank you that you've given us a call to be the light of the world. And you've given us a book that tells us how to live. Lord, let us come to your word, ready to be changed. Let us accept what your word says, even when it challenges who we are. Lord, let our story be your story, and your story be our story. Lord, we come to you humbly because you are our Savior. And Lord, we pray that change starts now, and it starts in this church, in our families, in our homes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.